It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday in Southern California and up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my co-host, John Riley. We welcome you to our Thursday weekly podcast. John, have we got a ton of topics on the table. You posted 13 items that we're going to talk about. Before we get started, I want to introduce the different things that we're doing. In addition to our Thursday podcast, we do special podcasts on Monday. In addition to all that, we're expanding what we call our fans forum, and we're asking you to subscribe so that you will get all the alerts to all the things that we're doing on Hacksaw's Headlines podcast. So tell the fans about what we're going to do today, which is a little bit different, and add on to what we've been doing with the fans forum. Yeah, right on, Lee. So uh, for the fans, you can get involved in the fans forum. If you got a hot take, a question for Hacksaw, just type it in in the live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube. We'll see him here on the screen. And at the end of the episode, we have fans forum. But today we're going to have a little fun. We're going to integrate some of the comments that come in on Hacksaw's YouTube channel. So it'll be, you know, a lot lot of different ways for fans to get involved and fans that watch us on youtube they can actually make a statement or ask a question written and we can pop them up too um yeah we can so you type in the comment section on facebook um, or on youtube and we'll see it here we'll pop it up on the screen and it's just like the old 690 days but we're doing it on the internet so it's all good and where do they subscribe and how do they get access and alerts to everything that we're doing? Okay, so you can subscribe on Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's YouTube channel. Click on the subscribe button and the bell to get the alerts for new episodes. Or go to any of your popular podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You can subscribe there or just go to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and there's a podcast subscription link on the front page. On we go. A lot of topics on the table. You wanted to talk Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, free agency is getting going. I've been seeing some interviews of uh, Preller out. It's in Vegas, right, where they're having the uh, the GM meeting. So there's a lot of a lot of possibilities for some of our Southern California teams. Okay, let's start first of all with the Padres shopping spree beginning. John, the free agent window opened at two o'clock this afternoon. Open your checkbook. There are over 150 free agents that are available, and that general manager is going into the marketplace. A.J. Preller is looking for another veteran starting pitcher. He's looking for a legitimate first baseman. He may have to look for a left fielder. Now, we know the Padres had a total of nine guys who could potentially become free agents. They have bought out the contract of Will Myers. Unless he's willing to take a pay cut, he will not be back. Uh, They paid him a million did not pick up the $20 million option. Juriskin Profar, the left fielder, who really made himself a pretty good player, has opted out of his contract, goes on the open market problem. He's represented by Scott Boros. I'm not paying him $10 million to hit 240 That's probably going to be the asking price. The question is, would he get it somewhere else? Would he come back here for a bit of a pay bump? The bigger surprise to me is Robert Suarez, the pitcher that they rescued from Venezuela, Mexico, and Japan. What an unbelievable first season he had. He opted out after... After earning $5 million, he's going to get a payday somewhere. Would he consider coming back? Because I think the Padres would overpay to keep him. The question is, how much bigger pay raise do they have to get with him? Padres have approximately $28 million in budget space, John, to be able to 
sign guys, either taking on contracts and trades or signing free agents from the outside. There's about 150 to 160 free agents are on the market at 2 o'clock Thursday afternoon when the free agent window open. So the big question then becomes, what does A.J. Preller do with the roster? Uh, Now, I've been told from agents that I link with, the Padres are interested in White Sox, Dodgers, Arizona left fielder, A.J. Pollock. That's a pretty good ball player, everyday ball player, wants to be on the field type ball player. Uh, the question is, at what price? You, could you get him for $10 million? Maybe. If he asks for fifteen, do you want to do that? I don't think so. A.J. Pollock is out there on the market. Another guy, Mitch Hanniger, did not have his option picked up by Seattle. Now, he's had a lot of injuries. Big right fielder, hits with some power, can play different positions, kind of a vested veteran guy. Price tag, somewhere between 10 and $13 million, might be a guy that they're going to talk to. Trey Mancini is quite a story. Oriole guy. Uh, did very well for parts of seasons with Baltimore. Fought back from cancer. Cancer survivor. Really, his comeback player of the year last year. Wound up going to the Houston Astros, got hurt, hardly played at all, not really part of the World Series. Astros did not pick up the option in his contract. So those are three guys with major league credentials that they're looking at. The other name to keep out there, and you just have to connect the dots, what the Padres have done in Japan, his name is Kodai Senga. He's a 30-year-old right-handed pitcher, Kind of a late developer, softback honks. He has just filed for free agency to come here. Does not have to be posted. He can sign a contract without going through the Japanese posting formula. His record is 104 and 51. He had a 1.94 ERA this past season in Japan. Because the Padres have had success, and because they got Yu Darvish, and because they got Hassan Kim, maybe that's a connection for move them to the front of the line. Now, the Cubs are interested. The Angels are interested. The Mariners, who have a great history with Japanese players, uh, are, are interested, too. Uh, that pitcher, Senga, might be the bargain acquisition. And we know what the Padres did this time last year when they went to Japan— and they got a couple of different pitchers and how successful they were. So that's item one with the Padres. Uh, briefly, Dodgers' decision coming on third baseman Justin Turner. Not going to pick up the $16 million option. We're going to give him the $2 million buyout. Then we'd go back to him and negotiate a restructured down contract. I think they're going to re-sign Justin Turner. It's probably going to be more affordable. On Friday... They probably are going to make the qualifying offer nineteen million six hundred thousand to Clayton Kershaw to keep him. After that, we don't know about Cody Bellinger. This whole Trey Turner thing is so out of control that becomes a big issue too. So we got the Dodger situation to deal with, and the Angels they got Shohei Otani, and you got the Angels situation where he's locked in for thirty million for one year. They got Rendon, they got Mike Trout. I don't know how much budget space that they've got. I don't think it's a lot. They got to go get some more pitching. But I was doing research today, and it absolutely floored me because the critique of Angel Baseball, John, is they don't have enough arms. They haven't had enough arms for a long period of time. But as a team, they hit 233. I was floored when I looked at that statistic. They were sub 200 with guys who played first base. 
They were sub-200 with one of their outfielders. They had like four guys hitting under 220. So the question is, do the Angels need to go get pitching, or do they need to go get another established ball player, and at what price? So, John, there's an awful lot to talk about, starting with the Padres, spinning down to the Dodgers, and filtering out to the Angels. Yeah, so uh, I didn't know this about Pollock. That's an interesting idea. But like you said, Hanniger's had injuries. Pollock's had injuries. They, they they might have an opportunity. You know, maybe if Tatis plays the outfield, maybe you only need one outfielder. Interesting how that's going to shake out. I'm hopeful that they're going to reach a deal with Nick Martinez. Make a you know they have to restructure his contract in some way, but he he needs to come on board. And then the pitcher from Japan. I mean, that's a really good way to go because you don't have to give up a lot of prospects. You just got to write a check. Well, I'm 104 and 51. 1.94 ERA just last season. Veteran guy who's learned to pitch. Yeah. That's kind of interesting to me. And, of course, the wild card in this whole equation is they could still bring back Mike Clevenger at an affordable price. As you raised the point a couple of weeks ago on our podcast, there's still something inside that Mike Clevenger that makes you believe if they can get him healthy, he can be what he was in Cleveland. John, he was 41-26 and 26 with the then Cleveland Indians before he had all the problems with the elbow and then the knee problem and the elbow again. Uh, that that still might be a wild card that is still out there. Your spin on the Dodgers, your reaction to the Angels. Yeah, the Dodgers are in an interesting spot. I mean, because Trey Turner is really worked out great for those guys, but he's going to require a lot of cash. But like you said before, there's a lot of shortstops on the market, so they have a lot of different options. Yeah, Bellinger, you know, dude needs a change of scenery. Re-signing Clayton Kershaw makes a lot of sense. The big question is, is if they're going to sign Aaron Judge. And then that kind of throws everything off, throws everything off in their roster. Um, and we, when we talked about... Um, uh, Mookie maybe even playing second base if Judge comes on board, or does Judge end up going to the Giants? And then there's a lot of possibilities there, but I think it has to start with the Judge transaction. The Angels, geez, it's hopeless. I mean, they've got three great guys. The rest of the roster is pretty shaky. Their team is for sale, so they're not going to really start really reinvesting in the team, are they, when they're on the market? Usually teams, when they are for sale, they strip the roster down and get the payroll so they can show some profitability, right? Well, so the, I don't know what they're going to do. The agent representing Otani said at the general manager's meetings yesterday in Las Vegas, they're willing to talk to the Angels about an extension right now. Maybe they withhold through the, till they get through the winter baseball meetings and see if Perry Masnazian, the new general manager, actually imports another bat or imports a frontline guy, keep the name Noah Syndergaard and ah. keep the name Jacob deGrom out front mm-hmm. and center, if they could add one of those guys, if they could get deGrom, that would make a huge change uh, for the Angels. And maybe you start looking at them a little bit differently. And like I said, I was stunned to see they had a two thirty three team batting average. It did hit home runs. Their, pitch, their pitching to me hasn't been dominant. Uh, but that being said, if you brought DeGrom in the front door to go with Otani at one and two in the rotation, and they got all the other young guys, Reed Detmers and Sandoval and Suarez, then maybe you got enough. Maybe they can flip this thing quicker than anybody else imagines. Okay, let's go to the National Football League because have we got stories to talk about in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, what's going on with all these teams, It's we're right in the middle of the season, and it just seems like these teams are breaking down, guys are having injuries. It's sometimes these games are like field goal wars, right? You know, it's 12 to 9 in some of these games. But let's talk about the, the Southern California teams. We'll start with the Rams, and it's just one injury after another. 
and now it's the quarterback. He's the heart and soul of what makes this thing go. He does not have a lot of help around him. Matthew Stafford has a concussion. They don't know where it came from. He did not get knocked out of the game against Tampa Bay, but he's mispracticed this week because the concussion symptoms suddenly showed up on Tuesday and Wednesday. He's taken 28 sacks. He's taken 55 hits in half a season. And we have obviously noted along the way on all of our podcasts what a mess their offensive line is. And they have no running game. And it's up to Stafford to do anything he can do. And they've got half a wide receiver core. Um, I mean, it's this This is turning into a nightmare. The Rams are 3-5. and five. The defending Super Bowl champions, the one of the highest payrolls in the league, are three and five, and now they got their quarterback hurt. That's not good news there. From that injury news, we move to the next team, the Chargers. Chargers go play the 49ers, and the Chargers have injury problems of their own. It's a really big issue. Their injuries are probably worse than what's happened across the street with the L.A. Rams. They're going to have to play the 49ers this week with Jam Sawyer as their starting left tackle and Forrest Sorrell, a rookie, has been forced down the field as their starting right tackle because they don't have Rashawn Slater and now they've lost Trey Pipkins. You're going to have bookend kids playing against a 49er team that is number one in the league in defense. 49er team that has got like 28 sacks ton of turnovers. You can't run the football against San Francisco. And you're going to have two kids starting on the, blocking the edge rushers to try to protect your quarterback, Justin Herbert. This is a nightmare. And you, you, you look at San, San Francisco as they, they send Nick Bosa and Aaron Armstead against the Charger quarterback. You say, how are the Chargers going to hold up? And yeah, I know they can't run the football against San Fran because nobody's run the football against the 49ers. And they, they don't have their receivers. There was no Keenan Allen. There was no Mike Williams. There was no Jalen Guyton. They got the kid, uh, Josh Palmer, um, part-time tight end, uh, Gerald Everett. Running game has been spotty outside of Austin Eckler. Uh, Eck- Eckler's piling up tremendous yards. He has to do it all by himself. Uh, the injury thing is just decimated uh, the Chargers. I wrote I, I wrote a midseason report card on my website, leehacksawhamilton.com today, that I posted. I gave the Chargers a letter grade a C for the whole season, for the first half of the season. I uh, gave them a 2.4 grade point average for a team that was supposed to be maybe in the AFC championship game. Yeah, we had high hopes. Oh, John, they're an absolute mess. So we got that storyline to talk about. Let's talk about the other favorite team on the West Coast, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. This is a mess. We're talking about Josh McDaniels. His record now as a head coach is 13-24. and 24. He's got a quarterback who's got a career record of 57-70 and 70 now in Derek Carr. They spend all this money on Devontae Adams, and half the games, they don't get the ball to Devontae Adams. And today, they just put their tight end, Darren Waller, on IR with a hamstring. They put Hunter Renfro, who was last year's star wide receiver, on IR. He's got concussion problems. They're just a disaster. And Josh McDaniel's team, John, in three games this season— has had leads of 17-0, 17-0, and 24-0, and lost all the games. And they just released number one draft pick John Abram, the safety out of LSU, who had been there three years and had done virtually nothing, couldn't stay on the field. That's four number one picks from the John Gruden era that this new 
front office uh, in Las Vegas has gotten rid of. So they're an absolute disaster. And the last topic on the table in the NFL, the Indianapolis Colts. Two weeks ago, we talked about that guy, Jim Irsay, the owner, and his outspoken condemnation of Daniel Snyder. Now everybody's condemning Jim Irsay. He fired his head coach, Frank Reich, in the wake of a a really ragged start offensively. Uh, Last week, they demoted the starting quarterback and ordered Matt Ryan off the field. Then they fired the offensive coordinator. And to top the week off in Indianapolis, they went out and hired an interim coach, legendary player, very popular offensive center for a decade plus with the Colts, Jeff Saturday. No coaching experience. Hired him from outside the circle. Did not promote from within. Did not promote longtime NFL coach and former head coach Gus Bradley. Uh, they went outside the circle. Jim Irsay has taken so much heat right now for his impulsive decisions as an owner. Frank Reich, I've been told, is going to the Philadelphia Eagles to be a consultant. You know, he's a bright light guy. They've had so many injuries in Indy, and the way they treated Matt Ryan was so second class. And how to fire the coach and then fire his offensive coordinator on top of it after you ordered the coach to bench Matt Ryan. What a disaster Indianapolis has become. They've become kind of the laughing stock of what's gone on around the NFL. A year and a half ago, everybody thought, oh, this team's building towards being an AFC power. So you got the Rams, you got the Chargers, you got the Raiders, and you got the Colts. John, it's your turn. Okay. Well, I mean, the the stuff with Ursay, it reminds me of like George Steinbrenner or Charlie O'Finley. Yeah. I mean, just a meddling owner, just causing chaos. And you can't run an organization when you have an owner that's doing that. But, you know, I look at the other teams and, and yeah, a lot of injuries, a lot of challenges. A lot of people still think the 49ers have a shot to go to the Super Bowl. And I think, what are they, four and four right now? Four and four. And they've beaten the Rams twice yeah already not going to play the rams again so you know they they got some uh you know blue skies ahead of them but i think the thing i'm thinking about this weekend it's it's chargers niners and i think back to when you were the play-by-play for the chargers that was the super bowl matchup right in what was it 1995 yeah i mean not a good experience either (laughs) that was the six touchdown sunday for steve young the quarterback but Mm -hmm. uh uh chargers 49ers this injury thing with stafford this might be the, the, the thing that collapses the tent in Los Angeles. And I just don't know how Justin Herbert survives what's ahead of him. Because when they get done playing the 49ers, they still got a load of games against big boys. They got to go to Arizona. They got to play uh, some of the other really tough teams. They, they got a game against Tua in Miami. They got to play another game against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. I mean, the teeth of the Chargers' schedule is right in front of them, and they got all these guys hurt. And I just don't think Justin Herbert can do this by himself with the roster the way it's now constructed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible what is going on with that team because in our preseason uh, forecast of the of the NFL, we had the Chargers as one of the bright lights in the AFC, and their light is really dimming. Um, and the other, so many other great teams in the AFC, but the NFC generally seems kind of down this year, don't you think? Well, you got Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and they're they're really good, but the other beasts in the East are obviously. Buffalo, if Josh Allen is healthy, mm-hmm. and Tua in Miami. I made reference to the Chargers' schedule. Look at this. At San Francisco, then Kansas City, then at Arizona with Kyler Murray, then at the Raiders, who are always angry, and then Tua Miami. That's the second half of the Chargers' schedule. Ouch. 
Yeah, that's that's uh, running the gauntlet. College football. All right, here we go. Um, yeah, so we've talked so much about the Aztecs and all the, the amazing things that are going on with that team, both good, bad, and ugly. But the SEC is like they're not this dominant conference like they used to be, right? I mean, some of the leaders are starting to fall off. Number one, Tennessee got beat. Alabama got beat again. Clemson got beat again. Those guys are probably out of the college football playoffs. You know, the burning question is what's happened there in Tuscaloosa? Because Nick Saban has owned college football for such an extended period of time. I think there's a bunch of things in play. I think the landscape has changed in college football, John, because of the transfer portal. I think that's a huge piece of the equation. Bama's not getting a ton of transfers. Clemson's not getting a ton of transfers. Those guys are going to all these other schools that are suddenly ranked in the top 10. And then Bama's got injury problems. They got the last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young, is throwing for 350 a game, can't run the ball, uh, do not pass block very well. Young is running for his life. Secondary is absolute mess. It's just not the same Alabama football. And Clemson's quarterbacks have just not been the same since Deshaun Watson went to the NFL, and therefore they're not the same program. And neither neither of those teams are getting transfers. I mean, you look at the polls after, after what those guys used to be. Georgia's Georgia because they've recruited really well. They don't have a ton of transfers either, but they're playing tremendous defense, and they've got a very good quarterback, Stetson Bennett. Ohio State and Michigan are typical Big Ten big boys. But then, you know, you, you look after that, USC, transfer route. UCLA, transfer route and healthy. Oregon, their starting quarterback was at Auburn. And Bo Nix is doing an unbelievable job. So we've got four weeks left in the regular season in college football. And probably three of the top six teams that were in the rankings, see ya. They're gone. So there's going to be some new people in postseason play. And I I guess I kind of like that because I was tired of seeing Nick Saban. And I was really tired of seeing Dabo Swinney and Clemson. Uh, so we're going to have some new blood there. But I, I think the lack of transfers and the injuries, and I think a side, side part of this is all the guys that have gone to the NFL from Alabama and Georgia, I think have changed the landscape of what was the upper echelon. Now there'll be some changes because Ohio State's still got to play Michigan. And TCU, which has come out of nowhere, has to go to Austin to play the Texas Longhorns this weekend. So somebody in the upper echelon, two or three, is going to falter. TCU, if they get beat at Texas, they could falter and they'd fall out of the mix. You know, we could have two Pac-12 teams in the Final Four of college football. Who would have thunk, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean at the beginning of the year, we were kind of counting out the Pac-12. Um, but what's interesting to me is that the college football playoff system always seems to kind of keep a, a bar stool warm for Nick Saban. You know, they'll lose a game. But they, they seem to always find their way in there. So I'm, for, I'm with you. I'd like to see some new blood. Frankly, I'd like to see the playoff expanded to eight teams, maybe even 16 teams. Well, they're going to 12. 12. That's what's being negotiated right now. But it's very complicated because it impacts all the bowls. And that's another topic for another day. All right, that's our take on what's going on in football. Before we uh, start shooting three-point shots, John, <laughs> tell the people how they can subscribe to get access to our Thursday podcast and get alerts when we all also do special things during the week. Yeah, so you can subscribe to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's podcast. Just go on Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's YouTube channel, click on the subscribe button. 
Also click on the bell. You get the alerts when we have new episodes. At the same time, subscribe to all the audio-only podcast platforms. I don't know. What do you enjoy using? Is it Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts? You can subscribe and get all of Hacksaw's episodes while you're driving in your car. So uh, it's just like back in the 90s, man. Back in the 2000s when it was 690, 1090, you can still have Hacksaw while you're driving around town. And we're introducing Fans Forum. And for those just watching us on live stream for the first time, how do people get involved with the final segment of our show? Yeah, so all you got to do is type in your comments and questions on our Facebook or or YouTube live stream. Um, we'll see them on the screen. We, we, we already got a number of questions that have already come in, and we'll have that in the Fans Forum sec, uh, segment at the very end of the podcast episode. On we go. Let's talk basketball. You're going to shoot three-point shots. You're going to shoot Brooks for me, John. <laughs> well, I watched some of the game last night, you know, here with the Lakers and the Clippers, and and I saw uh, Steve Ballmer there on the sidelines cheering his guys on. But the Lakers are just, it's like a sad story that's sort of un- unfolding there. You know, they, they, how many games have they won? Maybe two so to start the season. And then the Clippers are having their own struggles I mean, I was looking forward to this NBA season, but we're not getting off on the right foot. LeBron James was undergoing a a CAT scan this afternoon. He went down in the fourth quarter of the loss to the Clippers on Wednesday night uh, with a groin injury. You know, a couple of years ago, he really had a severe groin injury. Uh, This comes on the heels of the foot problems that he's had. Uh, He's a one-man gang. He had 30 points last night limping off the floor. They're just not a complete basketball team. Don't play much defense at all. It's just, it's a real struggle. And Darvin Ham has just been so vocally tough on these guys that I am going to change the culture of this team and you're going to change with it. Or if you don't play defense, you're not going to play for me. And he said a lot of really harsh things into guys' faces. So we'll see if there, if this response rallies this team together. Or are they going to flat fall apart? They're two and nine. They are a disaster. And the other guy, Kawhi Leonard. This this is not good. He's now missed nine straight games. Uh, this is after sixteen months of rehab for the significant torn ACL in his knee. I hate to say that maybe his skills have eroded. You know, there's only only two hundred thousand miles on tread on those on those wheels, and now he's had two real major injuries, and he's struggling coming back from this one. And there's no time frame for when he comes back to practice, which then means there's no time frame for when he actually gets back on the floor and can play in an NBA game. Clippers do have a pretty good team. Clippers have a really good coach, Tyrone Lou, who seems to know how to push the right button. So that's a big issue there. From that, let's talk college basketball. Start of the season. These guys are loaded. That guy, Brian Dutcher. Do you know what his record is, John? 120 and 40 at wow. San Diego State. Gets no national recognition. They get no respect. They won 34 games when Kawhi Leonard was there. Then we had the COVID season where they went 30 and 2 and there was no NCAA tournament. I look at this roster, the blend, the cross section of talent. All the veterans who came back led by Nathan Mensah and Matt Bradley for the extra year, the role players, what he got with transfer, the portal that brought them the kid from uh, TCU, the high-scoring guard from Seattle University, they look like they have every box checked. We might be looking at a 30-win season for San Diego State. Next game is against BYU, this weekend affair. Then they go to the Maui Classic. They're big. They're athletic. They're in your face with their defense, and Darian Trammell 
can stroke the three from outside, which is not what they've had in the last year or so. This looks like a tremendous team to me. And one other basketball note, this is this is just a horrific story to which there is no ending. Uh, we're talking about Brittany Griner. She is in the midst of serving a nine-year prison sentence for bringing marijuana vapes into Russia. She has now been transferred from prison and sent to a penal colony. Can you imagine the culture shock for her? A basketball star living a great life in this country who went abroad to play in the offseason, making over a million dollars a year. She's working in a factory in a penal colony in Russia, making uniforms for soldiers that are fighting in Ukraine. Can you imagine what she is having to bear up and deal with emotionally as to what what mistakes she might have made doing what she did, what she's become a political prisoner, and now where she is in a penal colony knitting together uniforms for soldiers trying to kill people who live in Ukraine? My goodness, just awful. Yeah, I mean, we talked about her, her a few weeks ago, how she is a political prisoner. And we're hoping that, you know, the powers that be can negotiate a prisoner swap. But I'm always just amazed by a lot of the, the people out there in America. Some of them are just writing her off. They're saying uh, she broke a law. She should know better. It's like, come on. You know, we need to be standing up for our people, our American citizens, and try to get them out of that terrible situation. I think they will. And your response to what I just said about San Diego State, are we looking at a 30 plus win season for the Astros? Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this season. And, you know, I watched the game against Fullerton. They started off a little slow, but, man, they they kicked it into overdrive in the second half. But the part of the story about this team that is great, I mean, the, the players are tremendous athletes. They've got great three-point shooting to complement the great defense. But when you you came here right before one of our podcasts, right after media day, and you had a chance to sit down with some of those players. I mean, these are high-character individuals. Oh, you sit there and talk to Nathan Mensah about what's important in his life. And it's just not basketball. It's academics. And he's going to get a master's degree within one year in a program normally takes two years to accomplish. He's been really impressive as an individual and pretty doggone good as a basketball player. I don't know if he's got an NBA career, but he could have a career in Europe. But he's going, he came back for the extra year. So he get his master's degree in business administration in addition to blocking shots, playing defense, rebounding, running the floor at San Diego State. I'd I just think that it's so much fun. Let's move on. Let's talk, uh, if you will, about uh, hockey. And we've got a couple of other items before we get to the fans form. Well, I mean, you've got this fabulous Oilers jersey on right now <laughs> or, or long sleeve tee, man. So you need to kick off the hockey segment. Uh, they are thanking the trainers of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Edmonton Oilers for saving this guy, Evander Kane, very controversial left winger. It played Tampa the other night. On his way to deliver a check to the boards, he slipped. He fell backwards. As he fell backwards, a Tampa defenseman who was going for the puck tried to leap over him to get to the puck, and his skate hit Evander Kane's wrist, Whoa. damaged the artery. Blood was squirting out. A very serious situation right near the Tampa bench. The Tampa Bay Lightning trainers came over the boards immediately, started to administer. The oiler trainers had to come from across the ice. They put a tourniquet on him. They rushed him to the hospital. They did major surgery. He's going to be gone four months. But if this thing had, had not been responded to as quickly as it did, he could have had something 
fatal happened to him with the amount of blood that he was losing. Yeah. It was gruesome. I, I looked at it. I looked at the video one time. That's all I could watch. So he's going to be gone four months. And he's a, he's a critical piece of the equation to the superstar Connor McDavid. But they saved his, they saved his life. They probably saved his career. From that, let's talk IndyCar racing for a minute. You know him. Jimmy Johnson, El Cajon, local boy makes good, seven-time NASCAR champion. He left NASCAR to go to IndyCar racing two years ago for Chip Ganassi. Really struggled in year one. And again, that's a different culture. He struggled with the speed. He struggled with handling. First year ran only road courses. Really struggled. This past summer and spring, he ran on the super speedways. And he ran really well, and he ran fast. At the end of the season, he stepped back, decided he was going to leave Chip Ganassi Racing, said that the the pressure of trying to learn a new series last 17 weeks, he said he just couldn't handle it. And even though he had success on on the ovals, it just wasn't satisfying. He's going back to NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson has just signed a deal to become part owner of a car that he's going to drive for Richard Petty Racing. So he's going back home. He's also, though, going to be given a window if he wants where he can run the Indy 500 on the Super Speedway for Chip Ganassi. You know, last last spring of Memorial Day weekend, Jimmy Johnson actually, when they were going through pit stops and shuffling, he was in first place for about five laps of the Indy 500. He excelled on the Super Speedways, but but the the smaller tracks he struggled and really struggled on the road courses. So he's he's going to do NASCAR for Richard Petty, He's going to do some select races for Indy, for Ganassi. He still wants to go through the process of trying to get licensed to run 24-hour Le Mans and the 24-hours Rolex of Daytona because he likes that type of endurance racing. Really interesting guy. And he's going back to NASCAR, which is kind of unique. And, and one final note. Can't wait. November 21st. I don't know where you're going to be. I know I'm going to be watching World Cup soccer. Mm-hmm. Team USA just released their roster. And a bit of a surprise as to what Greg Berhalter did. It's the second youngest roster in the history of World Cup play. Average age 25. Uh, they've obviously got Christian Pulisic from Chelsea. He is their anchor. Uh, Weston McKinney, the number two guy, it seems to be totally healthy. They think they've got enough on the back end. But he left a number of veteran players off the roster, and it's really stunning. Zach Steffen, veteran goalkeeper, not on the World Cup roster. They're going with Matt Turner from the New England Revolution. He's had injury problems. They're going with Evan Horvath, who'd been in the rotation as a backup. And they're going with a young guy by the name of Sean Johnson. Not having Steffen was a surprise. They left Ricardo Pepe, the young American, who had scored three goals early in international friendlies, did not put him on the roster. Now, he plays in Germany, has not had a great season statistically, but yet vibrant, fast twitch guy. Would have thought he would have been a guy coming off the bench to play. He's not on the roster. They left the veteran defender, John Brooks, one of their senior guys. He's not on the roster either. And they they left... uh, Oh, I, one of the one of the ones that really stunned me because he's had forty seven appearances. Paul Ariola, San Diegan, hmm. he's been capped forty seven times. Played for Team USA over three different World Cups. Was not included at age thirty seven. A little bit surprised with what Burhalter did, only because. 
this is such a tough grind and challenge from group play into the knockout round. Aren't you better served to have a few more veterans on a roster that averages 25 years of age? So we got topics on the table. Your response if you want to talk hockey, if you want to talk IndyCar, or you want to talk World Cup well, corner kicks. Well, let's talk World Cup first because, you know, Zach Steffen is the is the keeper for Man City. You know, he's the backup on that team. And, and when you go into these tournaments, you need to have veteran players. I mean, it's like in, in any sport. When you get into the playoffs, it's a whole other level of play. Different environment. Completely different environment. The pressure is, is, is much greater, and you need those veterans to guide the team and to kind of carry those young guys with them. So this seems like maybe a miscalculation on the roster. You know, so Americans are kind of wondering what's going on like our 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 neighbors down south in Mexico they're wondering what's going on cuz of chicharitos on on their roster but um you know i i look at the world cup it's going to be great i'm really excited for it i mean that whole week we got world cup and then we've got the maui invitational and thanksgiving and it's going to be a great week i'm looking forward to getting that started but you know to the other topics on the table i mean yeah jimmy johnson you know, great guy, local guy, really exciting what he's doing and all these different uh, types of auto races. I enjoy watching and seeing how that's going to play out. But that's, what a tough story in the NHL. And you've often wondered why that type of injury, you don't see it that often. And people are, those guys are flying with those skates. So a sad story. Hope he recovers. Um, yeah, what's amazing. We told you there'd be a lot of topics on the table. There were. All right, time for Fans Forum. Uh, those of you who watch us on a regular Thursday podcast, uh, you can message us uh, through Facebook and obviously through uh, our other platforms. And we're going to field your questions. And then we're going to go to the Fans Forum comments section because we've got some people written some really interesting things about what we're doing on our podcast. Go ahead, John. Start. Okay, so this is from Joseph Munoz. He says, just in, the Padres and Suarez have agreed upon a deal. That's very good. Uh, they were going to have to overpay, so they probably went from $5 million base to $10 million because uh, he's got multiple years of arbitration. So there's an opportunity for the Padres to lock him down. They were negotiating to try to uh, get Nick Martinez signed to a contract extension. I had, had been told that one of the things they were going to do or they might pay bump him up, let him be a starter. But as for him to get in the pay raise, he had to give up the opt-out clauses in years two, three, and four mm-hmm. of the contract that he initially had. So the Padres are active. Again, $28 million space. That's I've been told that's what the budget is uh, for Preller to either use to re-sign guys or to go in the marketplace. So m- maybe they can get one veteran from the outside and they've taken care of one or maybe two of their in-house potential free agents. Uh, I don't know how much more that Peter Seidler is going to allow A.J. Preller to go over the $219 million threshold that he was at last year because they're paying another another year of luxury tax on that. Next question. Okay, let's go here to, to Robert Bellinzon. And he says, um, how come we never heard much about the Padres pitching coach with his single-A player experience? Well, he had done a good job in Cleveland, uh, Ruben Niebla. Uh, he had developed that pitching staff. You know, if you, if you look back at where Cleveland was maybe three years ago, uh, they had Trevor Bauer and they had Shane Bieber and they had, before he got hurt, Mike Clevenger. Uh, it's still, a, it's a pretty good team. And Ruben has been the pitching coach there and he brought great credentials with him. Uh, he's trusted. And being a pitching coach means you have to be a guy that can cite 
and scope out pitchers who have mechanical problems, a.k.a. Blake Snell. You have to be a psychiatrist to help the young guys who go through real bad stretches, uh, a.k.a. Suarez early, Ramirez who got yanked out of the rotation, the huge challenge with former Padre Mackenzie Gore, the challenge ahead with Ryan Weathers. So he's got a good track record, and I thought he did a pretty decent job, although he had a lot of veteran pitchers to work with. But working with veteran pitchers is a challenge because those guys are set in their ways, and you're telling me to change what I'm doing? I'm set in my ways. So he did He did a pretty good job on Bob Melvin's staff first year round. Yeah, I mean, I think he did a great job. I'm, I'm real happy that he's with the Padres. Okay, here's another one, but uh, I'm going to let you – Say it. Show me your lightning bolt. Yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, I was the voice of the Chargers, where did that come from? It came off the top of my head. Um, in the playoffs, on the road to the Super Bowl, right at the end. I mean, it was so emotional in our radio booth because the stadium was so emotional. The town was going crazy. And they had beaten Miami in a game played on a muddy field in the first round of the playoffs. There's a lot of controversy about Don Shula. And Shula had screwed up the field by driving his golf cart on there during a walkthrough on Saturday. And then it rained more. And by the time they played the game, the field was all chewed up. Well, here's Miami trying to win the game in the final seconds. And they're asking their kicker, Pete Stoyakovich, to kick off the dirty part of the field that had been torn up by Don Shula. And he shanks it, and the Chargers win the game and go on to Pittsburgh to play in the AFC Championship game. And a stadium was going crazy. And I stood up after he missed the field goal, and I said, look at these fans. Show me your lightning bolt. And all these people have been wearing headsets. Listen, he turned around and went, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so that, that, that's where show I me was, your lightning I was bolt. there. I was at that game. And it's back when I had season tickets. And, yeah, I had the transistor radio in one hand. And what did I have in the other hand? I had my ticket, right? That's what uh, I said. Ticket yeah. in left hand, transistor radio yeah, so in your right hand. So that that's, that's where show me your lightning bolt came from. And it's, it's kind of stayed with us. Now, we got some written questions from people who uh, replied on our YouTube channel. You want to pop up with one or two of them in our fans forum? Okay, so let's uh, go here. And this is from Eric Wahlberg. Read it. Uh, the loss, the, we're talking about the, the Andy Reid story. You know, with, with the son. Yeah, with the son, the DUI tragedy. Uh, the law says a max is seven years. He pled, so when you plea, almost by default, your sentence is reduced. Would seven years be justice? I don't think you'd be happy. The girl is not a vegetable. She's improving. They are addicts, not always the same as abusers. Not fair to blame Andy. Do we blame all parents for addicted children? Well, I guess to a degree there's a fair assessment there that it's the, it's the young person that makes the decision. But the fact that his other son was a heroin addict and then this son had substance abuse and multiple alcohol issues and then the near-fatal rear-end car crash that, that badly damaged that family, that's a big issue. And the question is, Andy Reid was so stoic and so standoffish to the media. And I'm coaching football. And I've got a game plan to put together. I mean, I was almost to the point of being appalled at how he reacted and did not seem to condemn nor indict his sons for what they did. And the older son died of a heroin overdose in the Eagles camp in the team dorm. And Andy Reid just went on and on and on. 
business of coaching football. Just a great coach? Heck yes. Bright light? For sure. But to handle your family crisis that way as if it's not a big thing, I got a job to do? I don't know. That kind of bothered me. I don't know, John, if you got a different spin, tell me what it is. Yeah, I mean, it was really disappointing how the whole thing went down. Um, it just is curious, I mean, about Andy Reid and his two sons and the challenges they've had. Not trying to blame Andy Reid uh, necessarily for the tragedy, but there are just some things that raise an eyebrow. Um, it, it's you know, DOI is such a serious matter, not just with the NFL and players and coaches, but society-wide. I just hope that, you know, they take a serious stance on this. Well, I, give, I give the family, the Hunt family that owns the Kansas City Chiefs, Eric, a lot of credit. They are paying for all the ongoing medical costs for this girl who's brain damaged for the rest of her life. So the organization itself has stepped up, even though Andy Reid has kind of handled it very, very directly. You got another one you want to post up here? Yeah, I do. And this is great. These are all from your YouTube channel, people commenting on the videos. Uh, and this is from Ryan Jin Living. And this is about um, uh, Jalen Maiden, you know, being the number five quarterback, getting a starting job. Great point, Hacksaw. Brady needs to bring in a top offensive coordinator to develop quarterbacks. I figured that the coaching staff was going to give Haskell an opportunity to be the starter, but obviously that didn't happen when Burmeister suddenly showed up and Haskell left for the portal. Who could blame him? Well, it hasn't worked out for Burmeister either. Now, I couldn't be happier for Jalen Maiden as he's showing a lot of skill, athleticism, maturity at the position. Going forward, hopefully Brady will get this thing straightened out. Well, you know, it's interesting. I asked Brady this past week, Jalen Maiden is a transfer, and he didn't, I mean, hardly played at all last year, then obviously played defense at the end of the season, played defense at the start of the season. I posed the question, does Maiden have a COVID year of eligibility tacked on at the end? And Brady said he did not know. Well, we went back and checked, and yes, he did. Mm -hmm. Jalen Maiden is announcing he told me this past Tuesday, I'm coming back as a graduate student. I will play another year. So they got another year with now suddenly a veteran quarterback with great athleticism to develop. Very disappointed that Haskell bailed. You know, Brady Hoke has this this saying that the kid's attitude is, if I'm not playing, I'm not staying. Well, you got to go through some adversity. You got to grow. Fight through it. Now, I don't know whether this kid didn't practice well or this became an attitude issue. Or whether the coordinator, Jeff Hecklinski, didn't develop him. Hecklinski has been fired since. Uh, they've obviously got a bright young kid in Kyle Crum who's coming off broken collarbone surgery. Uh, I felt bad for Braxton Burmeister. This whole thing has blown up in his face. He bailed out of Virginia Tech. New coaching staff. They're having a miserable season in Blacksburg. I think they're 2-6 and six or 2-7. and seven. Uh, he he was a pretty competitive quarterback last year, but he just got battered here at San Diego State. The offensive coordinator question, I think, is really interesting. And I, I think this is the thing you have to pay attention to. They're having some success with Maiden and Jeff Horton. And Horton is a former coordinator and a former head coach. Do you stay the course with those guys and just not do anything from the outside? Or do you flip the coordinator position if Horton doesn't want the workload? Do you give it to Ryan Lindley, the ex-Aztec quarterback who was just brought in to be a quarterback coach? Bright Light, coached at Mississippi State for Mike Leach. Prior to that, coached with the Cleveland Browns for a short period of time. Legendary Aztec, 
super intelligent football guy, has has had a really good working relationship with Jalen Maiden in the month that they've been together. Do you give the coordinator's job to a younger guy like Ryan Lindley, or is he too inexperienced? So once we get to the end of the football season, uh, Brady Hoke's got a, a real tough decision to make as to whether you stay with a trusted assistant in Horton, do you open the door and allow Ryan Lindley to take the next step in his career, knowing that he's a kind of accomplished some things with Jalen Maiden, or do you go outside and try to find somebody different? Interesting thing. We'll be talking about it in the next group of weeks for sure. So we got one more here. This is this is a fun one here, and uh, this is on the YouTube comments from Fat Sal. This is a big fan of you, Hacksaw. He says, "You're still number one on my book, Lee. A lot of haters out there. You ruled since six ninety, and still remember, um, you should have been uh, been on the air. These others can't match you all. They." All they do is talk about their lives, not sports. You're more old school. You get to the point about sports like it should be. Just found your channel. I'll be listening. A, you are correct. I am bleeping brilliant. And B, you're bleeping brilliant for your assessment of where sports talk radio is now and how the landscape has changed. But it's, I mean, it's really interesting, the fact that we are able to do a podcast like this live. We're able to do a podcast that you can access at your convenience. And the fact that we're able to take segments of our podcast, flip them, and then get them to you for the people that don't catch the podcast in its full-length form. So technology is really different. So we're happy you're enjoying the show. And yes, we are bleeping brilliant. John, this has been fun. We covered an awful lot today. Uh, I invite everybody who's with us uh, to sample what we do on my website. It's all written, leehacksawhamilton.com. And of course, there's an asterisk there where you can hit that. It takes you to our latest podcast, which also posted uh, on the website. I invite you to tweet to text, and to email your friends who are sports fans, like us or dislike us, I don't care, and just alert them to what we're doing with my website and with the podcast weekly. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks again for being with us. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.